I invite you to turn with me to the 26th chapter of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 26. As you're turning to the 26th chapter of the book of Matthew, I was preparing this week for the Lord's Supper and considering the different scriptures, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, that deal and concern with the Lord's Supper and and I was thinking about what Paul told the Corinthians um, in the 11th chapter of 1 Corinthians. He was uh, writing to them about how they are observing the Lord's Supper. And he had referred to the divisions that the Corinthians had. And he, to, to kind of summarize, he, he said that their divisions were such that how they were meeting to take the Lord's Supper, that they weren't taking the Lord's Supper at all. He says that you're not tearing for one another, you're not waiting for each other, but what you're doing is just self-centered and self-focused. And, and he says that if you're going to do those things, just eat and drink at home. There's no need to come together for the Lord's Supper if that's how you're going to take it. That's uh, trying to summarize some of the things to say. And then he set in order how they should observe the Lord's Supper. And he, he marked that by the solemnness of the service, by the sobriety with which we are to approach the Lord's table, that it's to be a sober, uh, a reflective event, an occurrence in which we would observe the Lord's Supper. He noted that some had drank and ate of, of the Lord's Supper unworthily, and because of that, many had died. He talked and, and, and indicated, he marked the, the solemnness of this service and the respect that it not merely deserves, but it demands. We must come together around the table worthily. There's been a lot said about what that word means, unworthily. We don't use that word very much today. We say worthy and unworthy. But when Paul was remarking about unworthily, he was talking about the manner in which it was conducted. He's talking about the manner in which it was being observed. It wasn't merely that their hearts would be right, but that their practice would be right. That they would come together in unity to observe the Lord's Supper. I want to say something, and we're going to get to the scriptures here in Matthew 26 here in just a minute. But I want to say something about this and about the practice of the Lord's church. If you've been saved by God's grace, and you don't live for the glory of God, if the purpose of your life is not the glory of God, you're going to be miserable. Write that down. Put it somewhere that you can refer to every once in a while. That when you look at your life and you say, I'm just miserable with how things are going in my life, why don't you examine yourself and see if you are living for the glory of God? Is the purpose of your life that God would receive glory in every aspect of your life? Is every part of your life purposed and directed that God would receive the honor? Lost friend today, I want you to know the same holds true for you. You will not experience joy in your sin-filled state. You might have fleeting moments of happiness... But your life is going to be marked by misery. You might masquerade and you might cover it up and you might put a facade on it. But unless a life is lived for the Lord, it is falling short of the purpose and the design for which God has made us. We have been made in His image and created in His likeness that we might experience Him fully. 
That we might have a relationship with Him, not merely that we wear crosses around our necks and put fishes on our cars, but that we truly and sincerely are sold out in living for the Lord. My friends, today I see so many Christians that are miserable. And our hearts break for them, and we pray for them, and we lift them up for the Lord. But sometimes I just want to look them in the eye and say, are you living for the glory of God? Only you can answer that question. Only you know the things that go on when you're alone. Only you know the things that go on in secret and in the privacy of your home. Only you know the things that you allow to enter into your mind and enter into your heart. Only you truly can understand if you are or are not living for the glory of God. My friends, today I believe that Jesus is the hope of the world. And if you believe that, then you must agree with what I'm saying. Because if Jesus is the hope and the light of the world, there can be no other happiness found in this life except through and by Him. And all else then is just filled with misery. My friends, my hope today is that as we're called to the remembrance of the sacrifice of Jesus, that our hearts be brought out to of a world that is filled with such, 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 such gloom and, and misery and, and just worry and, and, and heartache and tragedy. And that our hearts instead would be set upon the Lord. And that our lives truly then, whether you've fallen or not, it's a, listen to me, I, I want you to know that if you have fallen short of His glory, God understands. Did you know that? Jesus Christ lived this life familiar with every temptation that is common to man. He knows what it is that you're going through. And He knows what it is for us to struggle hard with the temptations of sin. And so my friends, today, that you have found your life to be a mess is not something for you to to somehow think that it's just all over and there's no hope for you. The hope of the world remains no matter how hopeless it is that you look around and measure your life to be, the hope of Jesus remains. And so today, maybe you feel like you've just fallen so far in your relationship with the Lord. You feel so far away from Him. May this solemn act that faith church is going to observe in in, in remembering the Lord and His sacrifice as we observe the Lord's Supper, may it call to your memory what the Lord has done, that you've not gone so far astray, that you can't be back in the full fellowship of the Lord. Isn't that good to know? I get worried a lot for the people that we don't see in the church. I have names. I just keep written, put post-it notes all up over my screen at home when I'm working. So I can think about those folks and pray about them. Ask God how I can try to encourage them or reach them some way. I'm afraid the attitude of the church sometimes when we see somebody that's stricken his sins, we just put our hands up and we say, well, there's nothing that we can do about it. Maybe there's nothing that we individually can, but God can. And for that reason, we should not lose hope when we see brothers and sisters mess their life up with sin. Instead, our prayer 
should be, God, please deliver them back to the flock. God, show us how it is that we might be able to to help in this work to win those souls back into your fold. Let us never forget that Jesus left the 99 to go and find the one. Let's look here in Matthew 26. Those are just thoughts that I felt compelled to share this morning, but let's look here in Matthew chapter 26. As we contrast here in Matthew 26, as Jesus was observing the Lord's Supper, instituting the Lord's Supper with his disciples here on the, the eve of his death, you know, we can contrast that against what Paul was telling the Corinthians. As I already mentioned, Paul was nearly scolding the Corinthians for how they were handling the Lord's Supper. And as we'll see here, as, as Jesus instituted it, is that Jesus left it in a far better state than the state in which the Corinthians found themselves. We'll see that here as we read in Matthew chapter 26. We're just going to read a few short verses here. Uh, Matthew 26, let's begin at verse 26. The scripture reads, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread and he blessed it and he broke it. The the disciples and Jesus had met to, to observe the Passover and as they were observing the Passover, Jesus took bread and, and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to the disciples and he said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took the cup and he gave thanks and he gave it to them saying, Drink from it all of you, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out into the Mount of Olives. I've remarked before about what this must have been like for the disciples to observe here with Jesus. They have observed the pastoral with him previously and in the prior years in which they've been following Jesus. Yet now here Christ does something different. They're observing the Passover as, as they would have done at different times and periods throughout their life. Except now Jesus takes the bread and as he breaks it, he gives it to them and he says, Take, eat, this is my body. The disciples would have been wondering, well, well, Jesus, what what is it that you are meaning? What is it that you are saying by this, that this is my body? We can read in the other accounts in which we see Jesus in in instituting the Lord's Supper about the things he told them about this. And I want to make something very clear about what we believe and understand as, as, as Baptists in our practice of the Lord's Supper. When we take of the bread today, we are not literally eating the body of Jesus. It is not somehow transfigured as we begin to consume it to the literal body of Jesus. But instead, it is a symbolic representation of the broken body of Jesus that was broken on our behalf as a sacrifice for us. It is to represent Jesus as the cat of nine tails fell on his back and was pulled back, ripping the flesh from his body as he gave himself as a sacrifice for us. No bone was broken in the body of Jesus in occurrence in, his, in, uh, in, in alignment with the prophecies. But what we do see is that the body of Jesus was in fact broken for us. Just as we see it symbolically As we break the bread, the disciples would have been struck by this. And they take the bread and they eat it, wondering in their hearts, Jesus, what is it that you are saying and what is it that you are doing? 
And then he took the fruit of the vine and he took the cup and he gave thanks. And he took the cup and he passed it around. And the disciples all drank from the cup. He said, take and drink. For this is my blood of the New Testament which is shed for many the remission of sins. And I want to say again about the Baptist practice and our belief and understanding of observing this cup. It is not that this cup literally becomes the blood of Jesus as we would consume it. But instead, once again, it is a symbolic representation that as we consume the fruit of the vine, that we are remembering and reflecting on the blood of Jesus that was shed for the remission of sins. That just as we see in the Old Testament, as we saw the deliverance of the children of Israel when that tenth plague fell there upon the Egyptians, and how it was that blood was marked upon the doorpost that the death angel would pass over them. And behold, all throughout the history then the Jews had observed this Passover of that lamb that was slain and the blood of whom was struck on the doorposts. Jesus now says, this is my blood that is poured out for you. The lamb that is slain for us. That the blood, when applied to our hearts, would pass over the judgment for sin against us. Jesus instituted and he changed this Passover. We no longer observe the Passover in the New Testament of Christ. But instead we observe the Lord's Supper as he's instructed us. He instructed and he said, this do in remembrance of me. And that terminology, that phrasing that Jesus used indicated clearly the intent of what he wanted the disciples to do, what he wanted the church to do with this act of remembrance from that point until he returns. He did not say, do as I have done, as he did with foot washing. In which he said, do as I have done to you. In which we would serve one another humbly as one that would wash the feet of one that enters into a house. But he said, this do in remembrance of me. That we would carry this out as often as we do it. To remember the sacrifice of Jesus. To remember the sacrifice of of our Lord. Then he said this, and this is where I want to turn our hearts' attention to today, in verse 29. He says, But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine. Jesus was saying a farewell to them. We see that Jesus, at different times in his interaction with his disciples, indicated the things that would come to pass. He was telling them of his passion. He was telling them that he was going to be crucified, that he would be resurrected again on the third day. We see all the examples of Christ in which he was telling his disciples what was to come. And here he is telling them farewell, that he will no longer commune with them as they were this night in this way in which they gathered together in the flesh until it would be that he would drink this fruit of the vine new with them in the kingdom of his father. He was saying goodbye. He told the disciples later on, we read in the book of John, he said, a little while and you will not see me. Yet a little while and you will see me again. He was telling them that he was going to be crucified, that he would be buried, but behold, on the third day he would resurrect and he would win victory over the grave. that there would be a kingdom. He said, I will not drink henceforth 
from this fruit of the vine. I want you to think about saying goodbye. We don't like saying goodbye very much, do we? When you have loved ones that you know you won't see for a long time, or loved ones you won't see anymore, we struggle with it. We don't want to leave. We don't want to say goodbye. It makes our hearts sad and to long for a time in which we won't have to say goodbye. I, like you, have lost loved ones. And in those moments leading up to the passing of that loved one, my heart is made to consider whether or not this is the last time I will ever see them or talk with them. And it makes our hearts sad to say goodbye. The disciples this night, I don't think they fully understood the things that were going on. I think there's more than a few reasons why we can think that to be the case. After all, it was Peter who said he was not going to deny Jesus, yet he denied him three times. It was just after this that Jesus would go and pray and pray so sincerely and with such stress and agony, knowing what was ahead of him in the crucifixion, that his sweat began to be his drops of blood. And yet he returned to find his disciples asleep. I'm not sure the disciples fully understood what was going on this evening. Jesus was telling them farewell. And he was saying farewell to this Passover cup as well. He was saying, I will not drink henceforth from this fruit of the vine. You know what the problem is with goodbyes? And why they fall short of other ways of telling someone goodbye? Because goodbye carries with it the insinuation that this is goodbye and we don't know when we will be able to see one another again. I remember watching a movie one time of a little boy who said, Not goodbye, I hate goodbyes. It's see you later. And a lot of times we prefer see you laters than we do goodbyes, don't we? See you later leaves with it the hope that there will be a return of our company together. That there will be a hope that we will be reunited and our communion will once again be whole. We're left with goodbye. We're left wondering, will we see this person again or not? But when I say I will see you later, it means I'm coming back. While Jesus said farewell, when he said I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine, he did not say I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine forever. He said I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until... (laughs) He wasn't leaving them without hope. He wasn't saying goodbye. He was saying, I'll see you later. I will drink once more with you from this fruit of the vine when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. He was putting this cup down that he would no longer drink it here with them in the flesh, but behold, he would drink it new in the kingdom of God. Isn't that wonderful? (laughs) 
What we do today to call our hearts to remembrance is that we might remember the one that has loved us and has won victory for us over the grave that has delivered us from sin. And if you're like me, although it is we can know Him and understand Him and walk with Him here today, we will not truly, fully know Him and realize His communion until we see Him face to face. So what we do here is we remember the offering that was made for us, the sacrifice that was made for us until until finally we see Him face to face, until no longer do we do this in remembrance, but now we do this in full communion with our Savior as friends together breaking bread and communing as friend with friend. One of the things the pandemic has, has had the hardest time on in the church is that we've not been able to fellowship together. And we've talked a little bit different times about the importance of breaking bread with our brothers and sisters and having that fellowship face to face. That it's not good enough for us to just have sometimes a fellowship over Zoom that we're lacking something, even what it is that we're able to use the technology that we have in our day. That the church is meant to be a public gathering and assembling together in live and in living color and in person of the saints. That we commune together. I want you to think back to all the homecomings of years past at Faith Church and at other churches. I'll tell you something about my memories of homecomings. When I was a boy, I grew up at Salem Church. And my favorite church service every year was homecoming. As a little boy, I would look forward to it. It was the third Sunday of October every year, and I would be anxious, awaiting for it when school got here because I knew that homecoming was soon. And what was so neat about homecoming was that it was different than all the other services. It wasn't merely that I came in and I was listening to a preacher and my mom was making me be quiet and all those things. But we'd come in and we would listen to the preacher and then we'd take a break and I would get to go and eat with my church buddies. And we'd get to eat together. I didn't see them very much outside of church, so I couldn't eat with them all the time, but I got to eat with my church buddies. And then we'd hurry up and we'd get done eating. And as fast as we could, we would go out back behind the building and we'd play football and do all these different things together. Memories of fellowship. And then we'd come back in to the church house. And they would invite some band or some band, some group, some singing group to come and to sing. And man, we'd have all these new songs sung that I didn't know before. And with all due respect to those singers of of Salem Church 25 years ago, they were really good singers. The Heartfelts and the Pattersons and all these different groups that would come and sing. And I would go about the rest of that week singing those songs. Even here, 25 plus years later, those songs have left a mark on me. I haven't heard a Heartfelt tape. (laughs) I want to say CD. I don't know if I ever owned a Heartfelt CD, but Heartfelt tape in a long time. But I can still tell you word for word a lot of their songs. Why? Because when we fellowship together, when we have special things that bring us together as a church, They leave marks on us. 
And that calls us to a greater relationship with one another. And as we grow closer in our relationship together, you know what happens? We likewise grow closer in our relationship to the Lord. Why? Because God has designed it as such that the church together would be the bride of Christ. That we would be the reflection of Jesus in this world. That together we would edify one another and build each other up. That we would admonish one another. That we would reprove and rebuke each other when we see a brother or a sister going too far astray in their sins. That we would be able to come together and sharpen one another as iron would sharpen iron. That together we are made more like Jesus than it is when we are apart. You see, communion matters. I don't know about you, but these past 10 months of this pandemic and not having that, it's been like saying goodbye to something. I pray that that's just an until. Don't you? It's just until we get all this pandemic behind us. All of that is merely a reflection of what Jesus did here with his disciples. This wasn't the first time that Jesus had observed the Passover with his disciples. It wasn't the first time that Jesus had broke bread with his disciples. Don't forget, it was with the disciples that Jesus took just those few fishes and those few loaves of bread and fed thousands. In fact, Jesus, after his resurrection, the disciples were out fishing one night. They came back to the shore. Did you know Jesus had breakfast ready? (laughs) He had fish cooking over the fire when they got back from fishing all night. They didn't catch a thing, yet Jesus had breakfast ready anyway. It's a pretty good story. You should go read that sometime. But what we see in all of this is that communion amongst the Lord's people has a purpose in our hearts. And this communion specifically that we have together here and that we have with the Lord, the Lord has specified its purpose that we would do it in remembrance of Him. I want to ask you today, are your hearts stirred in remembrance of the sacrifice of Jesus? As we take of this bread and as you place it in your mouth and as your teeth clamp down upon it, I want your heart to be stirred in remembrance of the sacrifice of Jesus. As you take of the cup, as you taste of the fruit of the vine, I want your mind to be stirred up in the memory of the blood that was shed for you. Listen to me, friend. The shedding of blood of Jesus is the hope that we have for redemption. The Hebrew writer said that almost all things, almost all things, all things are restored. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. My friends, today as we take the cup... May our hearts be stirred in remembrance. As we take of the bread, may our hearts be stirred in remembrance. But may our hearts also be, as they are stirred in remembrance, be stirred in hope. That while it is that Jesus has said farewell, that we're a part of the until. Jesus has not left us for long. 
I've worked from home for the past 10 months. My daughter, Ellie, she was about 10 months old when I started working from home. So really, now for half her life, all she's known is me working from home. And she's gotten pretty used to it, such that when I'm gone, she's not very happy about it. She's too old to understand that I won't be gone long. And so me being gone for just a little while, it feels like a really long time to her. We get like that, don't we? Jesus has been gone now for some 2,000 years. It feels like a really long time. I've been saved now for 25 years. That seems like a pretty long time too. You say, well, how can that be a see you later when he's not back yet? 2,000 years compared to eternity, it's not that long. (laughs) Me being gone for an hour to run to the store is not that long in my 34 years of existence. But in my daughter's 20 months, it's a long time to her. And sometimes we grow weary here. And we say, Lord, we look around us and we see all that's going on around us in a culture, in a society, in a world that seems to be pulling further and further and further away from what God has desired and directed of His people, from the things that God has set forth in His law. We look around us and we say, all we see on every hand is lawlessness. It must be very soon. I want to assure you that it will be. I don't know if it will be in my lifetime. I don't know if it will be in the life of my children. But I know this, that it won't be long. It might be another thousand years. But on the scale of eternity, it won't be very long. Jesus is coming back, and He's coming back soon. For you who are a sinner that should cause you to look inwardly about yourself and say, are you prepared for the return of Christ? But for you who have gotten that taken care of, it should be a great waiting, knowing that our Lord is coming back. And at some point, that until it will be over. At some point, that until it will be no more. For we will see Him face to face. Every July, we go down to a family reunion for the Fergusons on the 4th of July weekend down in Macon County, Tennessee. And essentially, I know when I tell those people goodbye, I am probably telling them goodbye until the next year. So that makes every June a little bit more special, doesn't it? Knowing that I'm getting close to the end of that until. Saved friend, we're getting close to the end of that until. Every day, we're a little closer. Every step, as we sing the song, should grow a little bit more brighter. Because we're nearing, at last, the end of the until. When we see Jesus face to face. May our hearts be stirred in remembrance today. But may our hearts also be filled with hope. And knowing that at once, while we remember the sacrifice of Jesus now, we will spend eternity with Him, giving Him praise and honor and glory for that sacrifice 
face to face. I praise him today for his goodness and for his mercy.